thing we'd done was wrong Staying in the wilderness too long Keep your eyes on the prize Hold on The only thing we'd done was right Was the day we started to fight Keep your eyes on the prize And you are listening to Farm and Fiddle on KOPN 89.5 FM or on the web at kopn.org. This is an interview with Steve Smith of the Save Our Crops Coalition, and we are discussing a court hearing that's just been returned where National Family Farm Coalition, Center for Food Safety, Center for Biological Diversity, Pesticide Action Network North America were coming up against the EPA for the way that they approved the dicamba herbicide that is now being used widely in mid-Missouri and caused millions of acres of damage all over the Midwest. Uh, he's he's kind of a hero, and he's been fighting the good fight against the incursion of big chemical companies onto farmland. He is the agricultural director of Red Gold Tomatoes, based in Indiana, and he also is one of the founders of Drift Watch, which is a web page on which farms can sign up if they wish to be chemical free and the folks who are using sprays should be looking at this website before they spray so they can be sure that they don't inadvertently spray their neighbors. So if you're a farmer and you want to be on Driftwatch, just get to driftwatch.com. And more recently, he has been working on the legal aspect of the the renewal of the patent of dicamba which is a chemical that is newly used. He'll explain that a little bit. But I thought I'd start out by just reading a little bit from the uh, judge's statement at the from the Ninth District Court. And here's a quote from the judge's decision. The EPA substantially understated three risks that it acknowledged. The EPA substantially understated the amount of dicamba tolerant seed acreage that had been planted in 2018, and correspondingly the amount of dicamba herbicide that had been sprayed on post-emergent crops. 
Further, the EPA purported to be agnostic as to whether formal complaints of dicamba damage dicamba damage underreported or overreported the actual damage when record evidence clearly showed that dicamba damage was substantially underreported. Finally, the EPA refused to estimate the amount of dicamba damage, characterizing such damage as potential and alleged when record evidence showed that dicamba had caused substantial and undisputed damage. One of the most egregious cases of dicamba damage was to Bader Peach Farm down in the boot heel of Missouri. That is an organization that's been in business for many, many, many years. Peach trees that are mature and producing, were mature and producing, that were killed by a neighbor's application of dicamba on their soybean crop. And that is still in court. So let's go ahead and listen to this interview with Steve Smith of the Save Our Crops Coalition. Well, let's start at the beginning. And I'm never sure how to introduce you because you just, you know, you wear so many hats. Do you like to be introduced as the Senior Director of Agriculture for Red Gold Tomatoes or for the founder of Driftwatch or the founder of Save Our Crops Coalition? Or just I, all of the above? I, well, I, I think generally the best thing is senior director of ag, but involved in, with Driftwatch and Save Our Crops is good too. Okay, great. So you just had a big win in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Congratulations. Thank you. It was a, a, wide, a wide array of people involved in that, and, and uh, it's come out really well. Great. Yeah, you and National Family Farm Coalition and Center for Food Safety, uh, Center for Biological Diversity, Pesticide Action Network. And you had a pretty big opponent in this lawsuit. Do you want to talk about how you decided to take this on? Well, the uh, original registration that the EPA did uh, for dicamba just had a lot of flaws in it and no nobody was stepping up to the plate and recognizing that and, and this group actually figured that out and, and decided if the EPA wasn't going to do the right thing from a science basis they needed to be held to account on their procedural basis so this lawsuit was way more about procedure um, than that was the dicamba itself, even though most of the ruling talked about the problems with dicamba. Mm -hmm. um, there was some procedural things that uh, uh, the EPA was, was uh, not up to snuff on in, in taking care of the business. Mm -hmm. So you decided to come up against uh, the EPA for the way that they approved dicamba for this new use? Yeah, it was pretty much uh, making the argument that their own rules of engagement on giving registrations, they did not follow. And uh, that was all pointed out. If you've read much of the 56-page uh, decision, mm -hmm. it was over and over and over again. It was pointed out all the things that they did not take into account that they should have taken into account and 
discounted many things of, well, that's not important, but it really is important. And uh, all those things were called out and uh, I believe it was a unanimous decision by the, by the ninth district circuit. And uh, it, it just went along with all the things that we knew was a problem. Right. So maybe we should talk about what dicamba is and why it has been a problem and why it's even being used nowadays. Well, sure. Uh, dicamba is a, uh, what we call an oxen herbicide that affects the growing process of a weed. Uh, in this case, broadleaf weeds only. It does not affect grass. It does not affect corn, uh, that, that type of plant. Um, and it's been around since the 60s. So it's been widely uh, known about and, and used for a lot of years, uh, but it has a flaw, a major flaw, and that's that it doesn't stay where it's put. And um, it will volatize. In other words, it turns into a gas after it's applied, goes back into the atmosphere, and then can move as the, the winds in the atmosphere takes it wherever it uh, wants to go. I've always described it as kind of the blob that ate Tokyo. And <laughs> I think that's an apt description of really what happens uh, when dicamba gets uh, sprayed on field. It doesn't happen every time. Uh, it may not even happen a majority of the times. But if you take uh, 60, 80, eventually 100 million acres, uh, the percentage of time doesn't have to be very big uh, before the odds add up that there's a lot of damage being caused. And, and that's what's happened with it. Now, the reason it's being used now, and it hasn't been used in the past, was uh, the overuse of glyphosate Roundup caused a lot of weeds to become resistant to uh, Roundup, and so everybody was looking for the next uh, easy way to control weeds that were resistant to Roundup, and um, uh, dicamba is a, a, an effective and economical weed killer, and so it was um, decided to go that way, but um, it's got flaws that everybody did not pay attention to. Well, the, the fact that it volatizes means that it would sort of create a big cloud of herbicide that would travel wherever it wherever it went wherever the breezes sent it correct yeah it, there's a term for that called atmospheric loading oh. and uh, it that has been proven to exist now over and over as uh, when you get into high concentration areas of uh, of application and the weather conditions get right, uh, it just moves across uh, what we call landscape effects. And it just moves across the landscape. And uh, again, the blob that ate Tokyo is an apt description of how this moves and just kind of settles in on everything, uh, particularly when you get weather events that would uh, cause, uh, like when you get low level fogs and things like that, you can kind of see how uh, the same type of uh, problem could exist with dicamba. Mm -hmm. Well, it seems to me uh, here in Missouri, we're having a very wet uh, spring, summer, and um, at the same time, it's, it's hot. So we have this, a day of rain, and then we have a day of extreme heat. It seems to me like the perfect, the perfect uh, 
atmosphere for this kind of volatization? Uh, particularly, it's very related to temperature. Mm -hmm. the, the warmer it gets, uh, the more the volatility comes alive. And if uh, you know, listeners want to kind of get a better picture of it, whenever you spill gasoline, you'll see the fumes come rising off the ground, and and you can see them. Well, that's many, many, many times worse than what happens with dicamba, but it's the same, the same sort of function as it moves from a liquid form into a gaseous form. Mm -hmm. So as you said, farmers have started using it because the glyphosate is an effective against all the weeds that they used to be able to kill ragweed being one of them and you know there's a whole big long list in every uh, ecosystem of weeds that it's not killing anymore yeah we're up to like maybe 23 or 24 now resistant weeds to glyphosate wow <laughs> so so their solution was to invent a seed that would resist the plant would resist the dicamba that's that's correct and um you know, from a efficacy standpoint, it's a good system, but it has other flaws that uh, make it unacceptable to be used in, in our farming uh, situation where we live with, uh, maybe if we were in Western Kansas and there's no homes, no trees, uh, you know, miles and miles between uh, sensitive crops uh, might not be too bad, but in the main soybean growing areas it's just not designed to be used in these areas mm -hmm. so how many farmers kind of bought into this new system oh it's a it's a it's a huge percentage um, there's estimates out there that from 60 percent to i think it's more like 70 or above percent of all the soybeans are dicamba tolerant soybeans. So mm -hmm. a large, large percentage of the of the soybean growers are using it. Some of them are using it because they wanted to use it. Some of them are using it to as a defense against the problems their neighbors might be spraying on them. And uh, it's called defensive planting. Uh, and they have no choice uh, because if every field around you is being sprayed with this, um, you have no choice. You're either going to lose your crop or at least a good portion of your crop, or you gotta, you gotta join in. It's, uh, it's, uh, almost a mob-like situation of you're going to use my product period, or you won't have a crop yourself. Yeah. And, uh, that, that's really too bad. That's not the way things are supposed to work. Well, so you started watching this in, I guess, 2017 and seeing that farmers were being damaged? Oh, certainly I was watching long before that. I uh, made my first presentation to the Indiana Pesticide Review Board about the dangers that was coming in 2007. Wow. So uh, I, I've been on top of this situation warning people for a long time. Um, in 2009, I was actually on the Monsanto Dicamba Advisory Council, uh, where they brought in stakeholders and wanted feedback. And uh, I was able to provide that feedback, but 
they didn't always like my feedback and was removed from the committee. So uh, that was in 2012. Uh, I formed the, a coalition called Save Our Crops Coalition, uh, a group of other processors, growers, associations that were all on the verge of being affected by this. And uh, we started a lot of legal actions at that time. And uh, we actually delayed the introduction of this. It was originally scheduled to come out in 2013. Uh, but we petitioned the EPA for an environmental impact study. And that uh, effectively delayed the release of this product for three years. Mm -hmm. And then in 2017, they gave it a registration and the problem started um, in a big way, but the problems really started in 2015 and 16 mm. when the uh, tolerant seeds were released, but there was no corresponding uh, chemical registration. And so people illegally sprayed dicamba at that time and, and uh, started the process off much earlier than what the registration was. And that's been the basis for a, a lot of the class action lawsuits that are now pending mm -hmm. uh, in this. And and the big one in Missouri that a lot of people probably knew about was the Bader Peach Farm case, uh, where they were awarded $15 million in compensatory damage and $250 million in punitive damages. Right. And is that going on to the, uh, to the um, Court of Appeals now? Where is that? That is in the appeals process, and it probably will take a year and a half, two years to uh, get through that entire process. And so everybody's waiting to see how that turns out. But the uh, jury spoke pretty loud and clear on that one. Right, right. Well, the case that you just finished with, uh, with the groups that you talked about versus the EPA, that decision seems to me like it will have some influence on further decisions, such as the Bader case? I can't imagine that it would not. Um, if, if you were, uh, if you were uh, trying one of these cases and you knew that, uh, that the EPA acted uh, wrongly in even registering the product, but yet it got registered anyway due to a lot of the uh, malfeasance of the registration process, um, I would think that that would affect some of these class action cases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you said that the that the decision. I I did read the decision. You said the decision wasn't quite as clear cut as you thought when when you first got it. Is that how you started out the conversation? Well, there's uh, there's some flaws. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, whether you call them flaws or not, there's some uh, openings in the decision. Um, Number one is there is a formulation of dicamba called Tavium. Uh, it's just a different company that makes it. It was not registered at the same time as the other three products that were involved in the lawsuit. Mm. And so uh, it was not covered under this decision. So there is still a dicamba product that is labeled for over-the-top use in, in uh, soybeans and mm. cotton. Um, now, it's not been the, the majority of use product, uh, but I've got a feeling every ounce of that that's available is 
is going to get utilized this year because it is still available to be used. Um, the other thing is the EPA, uh, as of right now, and after two days, has still not issued their decision on what they're going to do. Um, I'm not a lawyer, but I understand that in reading through the process that the court vacated the registration and ordered the EPA to um, change the registration, but the EPA so far as of right now has not done that. And so some states are making the claim that until the EPA issues a dictate about that, that it's still legal to use. Other states have said, no, that's good enough for us. It's, we're not gonna allow it in our state. Uh, so in, in Indiana, it's still legal to use, even after the court decision. Huh. Uh, that confuses me. So the the federal court said no use, and then but then the state is still allowing it. Is that well? Right? The, to my understanding, the federal court said to EPA, "You fix this." Uh huh. And EPA has not done that yet. I think they're I think they are bound to do that, but they have not done that yet. Or they might issue rules that say, "Okay." You can't sell any more of it, but everybody that has some, go ahead and use it for this season mm. uh, because you bought it and it had a label at the time when you bought it. And so there's some unanswered questions uh, that still we don't know how it's going to turn out. But as of right now, uh, the EPA has not announced their policy in effect of what, how they're going to change this. Mm-hmm. And to be clear, uh, the only crops that this is that uh, have become dicamba resistant are soybeans at this point soybeans and cotton and cotton okay soybeans and cotton now uh, dicamba is okay to use on corn as it always has been uh, and so that has not changed either i see because you could have used it all along because it's a grass that's that's correct uh-huh okay okay so You've kind of answered my question. I guess it's a state by state decision on whether, let's say, the farmer bought the system. They, I don't believe there's too many soybeans in the ground yet, but um, they're going to put beans in the ground and then they're going to use the system. It's up to the state to decide whether that's legal or not. Temporarily, it is. Mm -hmm. If the EPA does come out and say we are pulling the registration for this. Uh, then it would become illegal. Uh, or they may come out with some measure in between that and uh, with their decision. And and I don't know who wins in those cases, whether the court wins or the EPA wins, but uh, I guess that's why lawyers make a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Steve, on these, on these crops that are, that let's say you raise one and, and it comes out of the ground, um, if you're using them for feed or ethanol or something like that, they behave exactly the same as any other soybean? Uh, yeah, the the uh, actual produce themselves is, is no different from um, one to the other. So uh, nobody would be able to determine the difference unless you did a genetic test on them. Are they tested somehow? Like, do they have to 
be fed to rats or something before they're put out to the larger population? Well, that was all part of the registration process uh, that the EPA, uh, in, in this case, the USDA would have done when they approved the uh, tolerant seed. They would have done all those kinds of tests on the actual seed. Uh, and so that's all part of that registration process. And again, to my knowledge, that part of it has never been questioned. Uh, as far as the registration process. It was all the facts that, that uh, everybody really understood that it was causing damages and that the EPA did not take that into effect when they re-registered it. So it's basically the only thing they've really, um, that they've been sued on and that's been ruled is, uh, is on a drift and the collateral damage to all the other crops and farmers. Yeah, that, that, that's correct. Uh, it, it's, it's a matter of just the problems it brings to the, to the uh, producing areas. Mm -hmm. So in the last few years, how many farmers have been affected by this over, over spray or drift? Oh, literally thousands. In, in 2017, the, uh, unofficial tally that was uh, actually gathered up by the University of Missouri wheat scientist uh, said over 3 million acres were hit. Um, there, it's been over a million acres ever since. And, and the thing is, it goes widely underreported, uh, particularly after the first year when farmers saw that they reported it, nothing happened they kind of quit reporting because why report it if nothing's going to happen? Um, in some areas, the reports have, have grown. Illinois last year more than doubled the amount of reports to the state. And uh, same way in Indiana, uh, it, it grew a lot last year too. And there's some estimates that for every report that goes to the state, there's about 10 other reports. Uh, damage situations that go unreported as farmers are reluctant to turn in their neighbor. Uh, this has caused a lot of uh, community rift uh, and uh, that's one of the issues that they actually mentioned in the court ruling that it was uh, kind of tearing local communities apart because of the problems. And so if you're sitting on a church board with uh, your neighbor and he just killed your crop, um, that's going to make for a little tense situation. Mm -hmm. Is there recourse if somebody's crop is killed by by their neighbor's overspray? Can they can they get insurance or something for that? Well, the federal crop insurance doesn't pay anything on drift damage uh, at all. Uh, you have to go to the applicator's insurance uh, company and make a claim, mm -hmm. and. Uh, uh, a lot of the, those uh, companies just make it a policy to deny uh, the claim and then fight it out if you have the will and the means to uh, pursue it farther. Uh, but their first reaction is to deny any, any claim with this. Some insurance companies have actually paid some. But one of the issues is it's really hard to determine the exact loss. Uh, if you get one of these situations, part of your field might be, a big loss, uh, or if you've, 
if you had a really good yield anyway, it's, say uh, you've got 60 bushel, it's hard to prove you might have gotten 70 bushel. Mm-hmm. And uh, so determining the actual loss is very difficult. And uh, uh, But in the cases where that has been done, uh, just a lot of times the insurance companies say, sorry about your luck, but we're not paying. Mm-hmm. And you are listening to Farm and Fiddle on KOPN 89.5 FM or on the web at kopn.org. This is an interview with Steve Smith of the Save Our Crops Coalition, and we are discussing a court hearing that's just been returned where National Family Farm Coalition, Center for Food Safety, Center for Biological Diversity, Pesticide Action Network North America were coming up against the EPA for the way that they approved the dicamba dicamba herbicide that is now being used widely in mid-Missouri and caused millions of acres of damage all over the Midwest. So you raised tomatoes with red gold. Have you all ever had any losses to this, any of these oversprays? I need to knock on wood, but I'm going to tell you we have not. Uh, our, we have worked hard with our growers and they have worked hard with their neighbors to make sure that everybody understands that they cannot be spraying this anywhere close to our tomatoes. And we've gone through three years now and uh, have not had an issue. Uh, Doesn't mean that somebody's not gonna make a mistake this year, uh, but I'm really happy that we haven't so far. And one of the things that we do is uh, participate in a program called Drift Watch, um, where all of our fields are registered in a geo-referenced uh, map where applicators can go and find out where sensitive crops are located. And that program is, has not only helped with dicamba problems, but it's helped with other types of drift. And uh, it's been, it's uh, a program that's been 11 years uh, running now, and it's been very effective and it's growing more and more each year. Wonderful, and people can get on that just by going online and finding the Driftwatch site and registering their their land. Yeah, if you're a uh, commercial, it's not open to just homeowners. It's gotta be a commercial and a minimum size. Uh, But yeah, uh, you can go to Driftwatch or the company's name's actually called Fieldwatch. Um, The the moniker of Driftwatch was the original but we're actually into also uh, protecting bees, honeybees. Mm-hmm. And that's called bee check. And we've expanded now into the commodity crops, which is called crop check. So we've got drift watch and, and uh, bee check and crop check and all our platforms to help um, the, the communication between applicators and growers of sensitive crops and animals. It's a good service. Well, Steve Smith, if people want to learn more about this recent ruling or anything else that Save Our Crops Coalition is doing, what's the best way for them to find you? There's a lot of historic data about Save Our Crops on on, uh, www.saveourcrops.org. Since 2000, 
17, our actions have been mainly direct one-on-one -on -one with EPA, but a lot of the, a lot of our early filings and uh, congressional testimony is all at that website. And uh, we're always glad to um, discuss if somebody wants to get in contact with me and, and learn more about, uh, about the situation. I'll be glad to discuss it with them. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much for giving us some time and uh, best of luck to you this growing season. Hope all is going well. Always glad, always glad to speak with you. I think we've done this now, what, maybe four times? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> you know, I keep thinking every time we do it, why there won't be a need for any more, but it uh, seems like there continues to be. No, I, I want to keep up with you too. I, I suppose, I don't know this, but are you going to go on to the Supreme Court with this or do you have any idea how you'll, what's next? Well, I, I think that's up to the EPA now because the ruling was against them. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, will they, as an agency, will they appeal uh, to the next higher level, which is the Supreme Court? Uh, and I think that's the only remedy that is still available coming from the Ninth District. Mm -hmm. So uh, that would be an interesting call for the agency to decide what they want to do. Yeah, we'll keep in touch on uh, what's, what's in the future. I sure appreciate the work that you're doing. It's, it's good stuff. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me again. See you later. Bye. Bye, Steve.